Hello, and welcome to the Development Debrief with Catherine Van Sickle, the stories-based podcast that interviews professionals, donors, and thought leaders in the field of fundraising. This week, I speak with Chris Clark about his background in engineering. He explains how engineering fundraising is unique and how it fits into the larger picture of a research university. We talk about Chris's background in singing and performance, his relationships he's built with students and faculty, and the underlying core importance of curiosity in our field. William Christopher, or Chris Clark, is the Associate Vice President for Campaigns at Duke University, a position he assumed in November of 2020, which will involve the planning and orchestration of Duke's next comprehensive campaign. In addition to his new role, Clark also serves as the Senior Assistant Vice President for Trinity College and the Graduate School, a position he assumed in 2016. In that, he oversees a program that represents 80% of Duke's alumni and generates nearly $80 million a year in private support for the institution. In 2012, as the Associate Dean of Development for the Pratt School, Clark planned and led engineering's Duke Forward campaign. Before coming to Duke in 2004, Clark was the Director of Development and Leadership Gifts for Purdue University's School of Mechanical Engineering. There, he led their $125 million campaign. Prior to his role in mechanical engineering, Clark served Purdue as its Associate Director of Plan Giving from 1997 to 2001, where he became the Associate Director of Development for Major Gifts. In addition to his major gift responsibilities in 99 to 01, Clark also served as the development liaison for Purdue's Black Cultural Center, one of the nation's premier cultural centers. An active member of CASE, he has served as the conference chair for both District 5 in 2001 and District 3 in 2013. Currently, he serves on the board of District 3 as the chair-elect for 2019 to 2021. Clark holds a master's degree in educational administration and bachelor's degrees in psychology, sociology, and law, and society from Purdue University. In 2009, he was the recipient of Case's Crystal Apple Award for Excellence in Teaching. Now let's get started. We have a lot to learn from Chris. Chris, welcome to the debris. Well, thank you for having me. Let's start right away with your early and mid-career experiences in engineering. First of all, I absolutely love my engineering alums and my engineering students. They are really focused on solving societal problems. And so in essence, it's a very sort of formulaic and somewhat concrete, uh, tangible kind of area that's different than, let's say, liberal arts, where it's really about the creation of knowledge, right, and the sharing of knowledge. And so I like that um, in terms of um, having something really tangible that allows people to see what engineers do and how they contribute to the world and the type of problems that they solve. And it was then easy for me to frame out sort of what our fundraising objectives and goals were in support of that activity, whether that be team-based learning, whether that be grand challenges in terms of the engineering grand challenges that the National Academy sort of created around some themes. It was just much more tangible and they were incredibly generous. Many of them went on to be businessmen and women um, some in finance, and they often tied their analytic experience in terms of being in an engineering field to their success in the world, and were incredibly generous in terms of helping that next generation coming you know, up. I loved it um, for all those reasons, and now I see how the engineering programs 
are really driving how we reimagine what the liberal arts education could be in the future, bringing in components that traditionally people separated liberal arts and engineering, but the reality is that in sort of the original concept of a liberal arts education, they were combined. And so, you know, how do we go back to sort of really um, talking about it in a much more comprehensive way that brings in the science, the liberal arts together, maybe put along that sort of in the reimagining of that space, you know, things like entrepreneurship, things like data science. Yeah, more collaboration with other fields and working together. Right, industry, interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary kind of things, Mm -hmm. even partnership with local communities, right? What is our obligation as a university in terms of our, the, the communities in which we live and the constituents to which we serve, whether that's in medicine or, you know, all the things that local communities um, rely on universities for. Yeah, I can see how putting forward facts would be in some ways refreshing in terms of working with the donor to say, these are the numbers, this is what we need to fill that gap, and this is what it would take. Did the conversations feel transactional as a result, or did you find that you were still able to be donor-centric and build deep and meaningful relationships with the donors? It felt like much of the focus was very much aligned with what the key priorities of the department or the school was at the time. We were donor-centric, <laughs> but it felt like the fairway was much more narrow, right? In terms okay. of the degree of where that donor can really impact exactly how that gift could be made. We were very clear about what the priorities are. Purdue is known for engineering. So there was incredible loyalty for those alums. And I was in mechanical engineering, which was like the mothership that launched all of engineering at Purdue. At Duke, it was engineering program had long been sort of on an island by itself. And so there was great um, connectivity amongst the alums with the faculty administration of the engineering school because it felt separate from the rest of Duke. And so there was great loyalty and commitment for that group as well. What, what, What we see now is How do we broaden all of those great skills and capabilities of our engineering colleagues to really serve the university and all of its forms and and, and, in a number of different spaces? And that's been fun to see. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's changed over the years, but it's very fulfilling work. You'd started your career at your alma mater, Purdue. I did. How did you choose that? And how were you in the engineering school or how did you decide to start in engineering as well? So as a student, I was heavily involved in the music program at Purdue. Purdue does not have a music school, but it has a world-renowned men's varsity glee club. And I was um, a trained vocalist basically since I was, you know, in the fourth grade. And so I was a member of the Purdue varsity glee club and was a featured soloist in that group, that ensemble that traveled the world. Um, And we were considered singing ambassadors in the sense that whenever the university appeared and wherever, you know, the country or the world, they had these 60 men who came along with and actually provided entertainment after dinner. And so it was an opportunity for me to engage with alums and donors um, as a student and really get comfortable in this space. They were big on things like social graces, table etiquette, conversation, icebreaker kind of things. So became very comfortable and confident in that sort of space as a 20 you know, year old which is great now that I think about it. I didn't appreciate it then, but I certainly do now in terms of the importance of writing a thank you note or being able to just have a conversation with a stranger 
And so there were some requisite skills that were being developed unbeknownst to me that when I graduated from Purdue, I went in straight into graduate school at Purdue and I was able to secure a graduate um, assistantship that was within the alumni association. And so that was a continuation of the work that I did as a student. Um, my majors were in psychology, sociology, criminology, and then I was starting to pursue a PhD in higher ed administration. I kind of fell into it in the sense that it sort of was a nice bridge for my student experience. I certainly was comfortable with alums. I knew a lot of the history as a result of my time. They put me on the road. So I was visiting alumni clubs throughout the country. There were 120 of them. And so it just was a very organic, natural sort of progression. And yeah. what's interesting is that my first development job was in plain giving, which is not the sequence most people take because it's more you know, of a technical space that people maybe aspire to over time, annual fund and maybe even sort of qualifying or identification of gifts is probably an easier sort of on uh, ramp. I had a great mentor at the time. He recognized that my ability to have a conversation and build relationships would probably drive my success in that space more than my technical knowledge, but he was willing to help educate me in terms of building that technical knowledge. And so I did that for three years and it was an incredible foundation for me. And then I eventually moved into major gift work that was based in Northern California and Southern California. So a lot of high tech kind of right. alum that mm -hmm. then was the natural progression into engineering from there. So do your current colleagues know that you're a trained singer? A handful of them do. I mean, I love it. I enjoy it. It's one of those things to be quite frank, being a person of color at a predominantly white institution like Purdue in the Midwest and being a, a featured kind of performer, I didn't want to conflate my musical background with where I was trying to go professionally. I really did not make reference to that as much because I wanted to create a new sort of persona and identity for myself as a mm -hmm. professional. And maybe gone a little bit too far with that um, because it is a passion that I have. Well, the reason why I went straight to that after you just said so much, I could have taken any angle in response. But the reason why I did is because I've actually learned on this podcast that you are not alone in being hmm. a trained musician. And I just wonder what the corollaries are there between being a performer and a musician and being a development officer or being. That's awesome. You could actually yeah. do a research paper on that. You know what I think? I've so actually interesting. One is there's passion that we are able to call on in terms of our music interpretation that I think resonates with donors in terms of us being excited about, you know, an idea. There's certainly discipline in terms of making sure you're prepared for those conversations. You've done your homework. And then there's that notion of when you're on, you're on. There are things that might go wrong with a performance, as there might be things that go wrong with an ask, but yet you roll with the moment because you're on. I'm not surprised. It sounds like your experience was very positive at Purdue. You talked about an organic pathway to development, and then you moved up while you were there um, into a couple of different roles that you told us about. So what prompted the transition to Duke? That's a great question. First of all, anyone who's worked for their alma mater and this is no disrespect to Purdue. This is probably the case at every um, institution where you're an alum and then you, or you're an alum and then you become a staff member. There's an underbelly of the institution that you typically don't see as a student and you probably wouldn't see as an alum, which is really just the business part, the operations doing what it does. And it's not always pretty. 
it's not always sort of linear, but it is necessary for the institution um, to sort of function in the way that it does. And so I got an appreciation of that. Um, but the reason why I ultimately left is one, I was successful in terms of fundraising. I was very successful in terms of fundraising there. What I did not know was whether my success was because I was an alum or was my success because I truly was a good fundraiser. And the thing that pushed me out of the nest a little faster than maybe I expected was uh, there was a shift in leadership at the presidential level. And then, you know, many presidents come in with their own sort of cabinet. Um, and in this particular case, the president came in with uh, a new vice president who was quite different than what I had experienced previously. And to be quite frank, and I think it's important for your sort of listeners to recognize is that it was the first time where I had to really give some sort of assessment of are their values aligned in terms of what I believe versus what this person was espousing as our new leader. And one of the things that I always promised myself was I, I can't be a fundraiser for the sake of fundraising. I have to actually fundraise for things that I feel passionate about. In that moment of transition and getting to know the new vice president, I realized that we were not aligned. He had a number of characteristics I did not care for. And it was the moment where I felt like I needed to leave. And it was important for me to land at a place like Duke because I think it has a profile of, you know, what it is in the world, um, very much aligned with the values that I, you know, held at, at uh, Purdue, but also a national or international brand that was quite different than where I left. And it was private, right? So all those reasons and this being an incredible part of the country in terms of sort of South and what I call the progressive South, or at least it was, I, it, it was just very attractive to me. And I, I was fortunate enough to land in engineering, which was an easy sort of onboarding because it was right. enough to move from your alma mater to another institution. But at least engineering is engineering wherever you go. It's the same discipline. Mm -hmm. um, and so I felt really comfortable in that space. And that was sort of like that just set me off in terms of my, my career here in Durham. I also started my career at my alma mater and I had a very similar experience to what you're talking about, where I wondered, am I good at this? Because I know the place inside and out and I saw the underbelly. So I completely relate to everything you're saying, but do you encourage others to start at their alma mater? Do you think it's an important part of a career for people to have that experience? We're finally getting to a stage where people are actually growing up wanting to be a fundraiser, which is incredible. Staying at your alma mater is a, in my opinion, it's a, it's a great opportunity. It's a, a soft landing in terms of being able to do this kind of work, having a great familiarity with the institution that you're serving, both in terms of your understanding of the culture, but also maybe uh, the institution's on, uh, recognition of who you are. And maybe that will accelerate your path a little bit in terms of your right. alma mater. But I do believe strongly in um, getting new perspectives because I, I, I have many stories of people who never got away and they oftentimes only felt like there was one way of doing things. You can always go back. And the people who've come back, I've seen really elevate beyond where they were before because they have a point of reference now. And they are typically some of the best fundraisers that we have because they can speak to history and their own personal sort of connection, as well as uh, bringing in some of those innovative new ideas and thoughts uh, that other folks are doing other places in the world. You moved on to Duke with the engineering focus, and it makes sense that you didn't change everything all at once. You stuck with something that you knew, but then went to a new type of place. For those who are listening who work in engineering schools, do 
engineering schools require a different approach? Is it very niche? I mean, I think you're well positioned to answer that now that you're looking at from more of a bird's eye view. Yeah, that's a, that's a really great question as well. I think the misnomer is in engineering and science programs that fundraiser needs to be an engineer or a scientist. I don't think that's true. I think in fact, what's most important is to sort of know your limitations. So I have a strong science engineering background, not because I'm a scientist or an engineer, but because I've been in those environments long enough to actually pick up the vocabulary, understand the research, understand the curriculum in a way that I can speak as an insider that maybe others lack. But where I started was really, really, truly being the fundraising expert, knowing, and again, remember I said I started in plan giving, and I remember in my first interview in mechanical engineering at Purdue, that question was asked of me, like, how are you going to, as a liberal artist, how are you going to be able to represent our interest in engineering? And I was very slip and obviously extraordinarily confident as a young person, 30, maybe <laughs> and 28 years old. And I said, do you know what a charitable remainder income you know, trust is with a flip provision for real estate? And he said, no, I have no idea. And I said, well, I do. So what we need to make sure we know is how to separate what my knowledge is and where I need to come to the conversation versus when I need to bring you in to represent that faculty space, that research education space, where I'm lacking that familiarity. And as long as we kind of both know where those lines are, then I think we can coexist and really support one another as you learn my space and I learn yours. But right now I would say that, no, I don't have a, a, a great familiarity with engineering. I have a great curiosity and that's kind of who I am as an individual. But my focus will be on the impact and the problems that you solve, not so much about the technical aspects of the work. I'll leave you as a faculty member to be engaged in those conversations with me. And they liked that because that allowed them to come in in a way that they didn't expect to come in. And I did use them in that way, right? And I built great relationships with faculty, which is one of the things I think I'm most passionate about, that and hmm. students in terms of this work and what keeps me sort of in this work is really spending time with really, really smart people. I think you have to be curious. I think you need to be someone who can learn on your own. And I think you need to figure out how you want to engage those folks who are the experts to sit alongside you and bring them in as partners. Yeah, allowing the experts to shine. You're also confirming my theory. The engineering schools that I've interacted with have all really built strong development shops. And my theory has been because the goals are so clear from the dean that it is easier to be really clear on your goal and close it. And I think part of that is the way of being an engineer. So that's very interesting. Yeah. And a lot of those um, prospects are now, you know, leaders of business and industry. And, and what's interesting is that a lot of them have forgotten that they're engineers. They, <laughs> like I said before, they, they're, they're very strong in terms of their quantitative skills and abilities, but somehow they sometimes say, well, I'm no longer an engineer. So, you know, maybe you, you need to see someone else. Yeah. People and I'm like, have said that to me too. Yeah. And I said, well, let's talk about why you're successful in your CEO role or your president's role. And that's really because of the quantitative skills hmm. that you've learned and the discipline that you've learned as an engineer. It's interesting that some of those people forget where they came from. And then when they're reminded, they're like, yeah, that's, that's right. So your progression at Duke has been very impressive. When you left engineering and started moving into other spaces, what was that like for you? And was that your, was that your goal or was that something that also happened organically, like the other parts of your career? I, I like to believe that everything that I do builds on what I did previously. The thing about, I did 16 years at Purdue and I'm now 16 years at Duke. 
Oh, wow. And um, one of the things that I always stress in terms of when I teach people who are sort of new to this profession is the importance of building internal relationships and that they are as critically important to build your internal relationships as you build your external relationships with your donors. And um, I truly believe that because I think what's happened is that relationship building that I've done both at Purdue and Duke, particularly to be quite frank, Catherine, around helping to translate technical things to people who are scared to death of engineering and science. It somehow allowed me an in in terms of that relationship that I think has helped me navigate climbing into other opportunities. All of that stuff happened early on in my career as it relates to working in science and engineering. And now I'm translating that into humanities and social sciences, which are very different. But at the end of the day, it's really about how do you help to inform and or illuminate, you know, faculty research and teaching and uh, lower the barriers between areas that they can see one another and work with one another and not get in the way. I enjoy that. I enjoy the camaraderie of the work. I enjoy the partnership, the collaboration of the work. And so I I do feel like everything I've done builds on that. I think the thing that people would say now is one, I ask the tough questions of leadership of faculty. I think I have a, um, a comfort level with faculty that some of my colleagues may not have. And that's that goes back to that earlier conversation I had when I had my first interview in engineering, where they they can be intimidating in terms of who they are in the world and, and, and their knowledge in the world. But the reality is that um, they're they're normal people like the rest of us. They are experts in a very you know specific area of scholarship. Everything else outside of that, they're just like the rest of us. I really kind of tie into the humanity, I think, a little bit more with them. Obviously, I've got to leverage that expertise that they have, but somehow normalizing them in a way that feels comfortable and allows me to build a relationship. And so being able to replicate and do that throughout, you know, different places in the, in the, on the campus has been, um, I think, um, a good thing um, for me. So, and staying intellectually curious, because that also yes. allows me to create new tools. Yeah. Does it feel like you've come full circle now that you're back in the humanities? This job that I'm about to leave has been one of the best opportunities I think I've ever had in my career because it speaks to the totality of who I think I am at this point at 50 years old. I have the arts part in terms of being a vocalist, the humanities and social sciences. You know, I was a psychology, sociology, criminology major. And then the science, natural sciences is sort of where I've spent most of my career in terms of engineering. So it really feels like And they're all very different in terms of when you go into a conversation with a faculty member, there's different ways in which their scholarship is shaped and or um, how their scholarship is judged. And having a familiarity with that space in each of those three different areas, I love it because your brain is switching gears constantly. It really, I think, is the first time where I felt like it's like home. It feels very comfortable. And that's wonderful. Yeah. So for people who are listening and thinking, wow, that sounds really attractive. What is your title? And then can you tell us what you're moving into? My new job is associate vice president for campaign operations or campaign planning for Duke. So I'll be responsible for planning um, a comprehensive campaign for Duke. Uh, Our last one was just under 4 billion. You're at Columbia. So you kind of know the scale we're talking about in terms of those Mm multi-billion dollar kind of initiatives. We have yet to determine what that will be for us, but we assume that it will be north of what we did previously. And then we'll do something alongside of it that will be more in the human capital campaign space about all shoulders. Mm. So how do you leverage your alums, your constituents around the world 
to really be advocates and, and support your institution, not only in terms of their philanthropy, but in terms of their expertise and service. I'm excited about that, that component. Yeah. Well, of course, you've had to hone your leadership style working with four or five different deans and several different schools. And can you talk to us about the leadership style that worked in the role you're in now? And then do you think that you will need to change your leadership style in the campaign role? Or is it something that would translate or cross over into the future? My leadership style is one where I'm certainly not a micromanager. I try and be big picture and strategic. I'm, I'm one that likes to com- connect multiple pieces of a puzzle, but I like to do it in a way that it really is hopefully providing service and support to someone else, bringing them along as a partner. A partnership is really important to me. I think that everything I've done in the past is very consistent with that because that's who I am as a person. I think in this new role, I'm recognizing the need to be very deliberate in terms of communicating my process and translating my vision and the steps and stages of the process so people can see it in a way that's predictable. The uncertainty around campaign planning, I think, creates anxiety for people. Are you thinking that being really transparent and predictable is an important aspect of building trust when you're working with so many different parts of the university in that kind of role? I think it is very important. I also think that, like I told you before, so the importance Mm -hmm. of interpersonal skills and building your internal relationships, that is what I'm really drawing on is building trust with the different people around the campus that some of which I know, some of which I don't know, some of which I know, but not in this space is really where I need to focus because a lot of it is being transparent and visible in terms of what it is that I'm trying to accomplish and understanding how they fit in and how I can help serve them. But one of the things I really wanna do in this new role is to make sure that we also shift the culture so that the next time we do a big initiative, there's muscle memory there that doesn't feel like you're starting all over. And a lot of that is the institutional memory, not just the development part, but the institutional memory around how the big ideas get generated, how do we translate those to development opportunities and really looking at this as a way to define how Duke will feel differently in the future by shifting the culture to be much more responsive and adaptable to opportunities that come about and not have to start all over every time we do a campaign. Is part of that getting things in writing? What do you mean? Like having processes written down that people can refer back to. Yes, so policies, procedures, uh, history, uh, task lists, yeah, all of that, having it very much uh, on paper so that everyone's reading from the same scripts and hopefully interpreting it the same way. Yeah, that is for sure. And I'm lucky to have um, in the previous campaign that we finished three plus years ago, someone who was very much about putting it in writing. And so I feel like I have a base of knowledge that, and and yeah, a place I can um, jump off from. Now the question of shifting the culture uh, is going to be new, but I think in every instance where you're trying to shift culture, it's not something that you can necessarily just read from a script. It's about the personalities and how they fit together. You mentioned that you have done some work with Case. I'm curious about how that has formed you as a leader. Thank you for ending our conversation with that because you know you can shift from institution to institution, job to job, but Case has been a touchstone for me. For my entire career, you know, a lot of us are in this profession and we, 
uh, tout the benefits of service in terms of our institutions. This is an example of how my service to my profession, I think, has grown me professionally um, as an expert in the field. A couple of things that I've done with CASE. One is I've chaired annual conferences in both District 5 um, as well as District 3. And then currently I am the chair of District 3. So I'm responsible for all the universities, colleges, uh, independent schools, community colleges. I am their person on case as it relates to um, running the District 3 board, um, which I will pass on in uh, June of this year to my successor. And then I'm a, uh, I, I, for my entire career, I've been teaching um, people who are new to the profession and the newcomers kind of track. And so I'm um, a Apple winner, case Apple winner in that space. Um, that's one I really enjoy. because. Well, I would love to end with my signature question, Chris, which is what do you know for sure? Oh, I love that question, by the way. We are at a critical point in sort of not only our country, but in terms of our profession where uh, whatever I've done in the past may not be the way in which I need to do the work in the future not only because the questions have become much more complicated, but also we're looking at constituents that are not only more sophisticated and are demanding more of us in terms of accountability, but our demographics are changing in a way that we as fundraisers and alumni professionals have to always see that we have the longest view at the university and there's a responsibility in that space as relates to making sure that our donors and our alumni bodies are truly representative of the diversity that we have on our campus. Our faculty will come and go, our students will come and go, our administration will come and go, but the relationship that one has with their alma mater is forever. And so really looking at our work over the arc of one's lifetime and not just a finite period of two, three, four, five years is really how we need to shift and um, be a real champion of what does it really mean to have a diverse sort of constituency base and how do we utilize them to really further the ambitions of the institution. So I don't know if that's what I know or the question that I look to help to, you know, move forward in the future, but. It's, it's a great question and I'm excited to see what you do with this new campaign and we'll be watching. Well, thank you. I really, truly appreciate Catherine the opportunity. Wonderful. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for joining us today and hearing Chris's journey, all of the things that he's learned over his experiences at Purdue and Duke. Please connect with me on Instagram at devdebrief or on LinkedIn. You can also email me at devdebrief at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Have a great day.